There's a shortage of black female models with natural kinky hair and, you know, ethnic features. When people were saying, you're not the pretty one. It was like, you're right. I'm not. I don't see anyone like me. My face is anti-golden ratio. More of the world doesn't meet that ratio than does. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news stories? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporters. Every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome, everyone, to the Debrief podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Beckford, in for David Ushery. It's a cookie-cutter standard that dates back centuries, the ideal look defined by European features. But the benchmark for beauty never accounted for women of color. Now, from skincare to modeling and marketing, there's a new push to do away with that narrow-minded past and celebrate beauty in every shade. It's an ultrasound device, mm -hmm. and it, it heats up the tissue and causes it to contract. Mm -hmm. At her office in Midtown Manhattan, Dr. Michelle Henry is a cutting-edge dermatologist, in demand as much for her skills as how she sees the world. This concern about making people uncomfortable, um, I think the world just ripped the veil off of it. <laughs> The veil is gone, so we're having really fantastic, uncomfortable conversations. Conversations not only about treating black patients, but also the very definition of beauty. Few things get under her skin more than the so-called golden ratio, which holds... Your face is about one and a half times longer than it is wide. From the Mona Lisa to Bella Hadid, it's an ancient and pervasive standard. There are clinics called the Golden Ratio. That's how deeply kind of like entrenched it is. But there's one glaring problem. My face is anti-Golden Ratio. More of the world doesn't meet that ratio than does. That includes Momonatu Boog, a model and advocate for inclusivity. And at that time when I started, there weren't any models that looked like me at my agency. She says it translated to discrimination from people in her industry, an extension of bias she's faced for much of her life. So people were saying, you're not the pretty one. It was like, you're right, I'm not. I don't see anyone like me. Her feelings echoed by many seeking treatment for skin conditions. Most black patients find what they see in the mirror isn't reflected in what they see in their dermatologist's office. Henry is one of only a handful of black dermatologists in New York City and one of only 3% in the country. Full disclosure, she treats me and people like Tori Elizabeth. Honestly, I will fly to wherever she's at <laughs> if I had to. Elizabeth travels more than an hour via public transportation to see Dr. Henry. Her visits to two other dermatologists didn't work out. I just think it was honestly a, a cultural difference. I think it was a lack of understanding, and I don't think it was on purpose. I just think they just don't understand um, people of color. In a 2011 survey, almost half of dermatologists reported their medical training was inadequate to prepare them for diagnosing and treating black patients. Things like um, eczema even looks different. Psoriasis, very common conditions look different in darker skin. The rising number of black students applying to be dermatologists gives Dr. Henry hope as does her work consulting for companies like Allergan, L'Oreal, and Kiehl's. Particularly what I advocate for are women and faces that are carved out of conversations with beauty. There is a shortage of black female models with natural kinky hair and, you know, ethnic features. So I say, you know, I want a woman with full lips. I'd like to see that. Beauty marketing to black consumers is also on the rise. You're noticing differences in um, shade and skin tone curl type and different types of hair every single 
outward look of beauty that we have kind of, there's always been this standard of beauty and we've started breaking down barriers, which is amazing. Bonnie Smith's marketing company focuses on women of color. She says companies like Target, Ulta and Sephora are investing in black owned beauty businesses. We're seeing these things and we're seeing how happy somebody is saying, I've never been able to match my skin tone so easily like this in my life. And it's kind of sad to think about that, but it's also celebratory to know that brands have finally started to pay attention. Experts say more interest in black skin means more research, more development, more representation. So all women can feel beautiful. Someone that looks like me, that relates to me. So it's just creating that space for the younger generation so they don't feel lost. We want to welcome Dr. Michelle Henry. She's the New York City dermatologist you heard from in our piece who, like others, is working to make sure ideals of beauty include everyone. Dr. Henry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, one of the things you point out is that you don't want to be colorblind. You want to include every shade and recognize every shade, right? Exactly. You know, I think oftentimes in an effort to not discuss race or to not discuss these conversations that make us uncomfortable, many lean on being colorblind. But what I always encourage is being, you know, color rich, being colorful and really learning to appreciate the beauty of, of different backgrounds and realizing how important it is to recognize honor and speak to that instead of ignoring that. And you've noticed, Dr. Henry, over the last year with the racial reckoning we're seeing in this country, that you're having more of these conversations, right, with companies looking to be more inclusive. Exactly. Companies are leaning into what having what I've always called these uncomfortable conversations that are uncomfortable, but absolutely necessary and needed. And so it's no longer taboo to ask me about how do your patients of color receive this, this, um, this product? How can we make sure that our message lets them know that they were included from the inception of this idea, concept, or product. Many companies are reaching out and no longer afraid to have this conversation. It's really important because I think that really is the only way we're going to have real change. Um, and so in many ways, it is a huge silver lining of what we have all survived over the past year or so. And talk about how this has even wider implications than just about beauty, for instance, uh, what it means for Black patients who walk into your office, who have real skin conditions, concerns that are looking for treatment from somebody who understands them. I think this has quite widespread, wide reaching implications for all of medicine. Um, so, of course, I'm interfacing with it on the beauty side, but also, you know, we know that outcomes for Black patients, Black and brown patients with things like melanoma which can be fatal, are worse. So a Black patient has about a five-year survival of 65%, whereas a white patient has a five-year survival of about 91% when we think about things like melanoma. And that's often because I think part of it is we're not having these conversations. And because we're not having these conversations, there's a lower index of suspicion for many conditions in Black skin. And that has proven to be fatal. So it's beyond beauty. It's in all aspects of medicine. I think people are being forced to recognize that not only does you know, race matters, culture matters because culture is language. And what is more important in medicine than language and our ability to communicate what is going on, our ability to get a history, our ability to understand what's going on with the patient. I think because so many of us are having these conversations, physicians in industry, that it will ultimately save patients. And these disparities became even more apparent again during the pandemic when skin conditions related to COVID began popping up and you were only seeing pictures of white patients with these skin conditions. Talk about that. 
Absolutely. So, you know, early on um, in the in, in, in COVID's history, especially when we were seeing lots of patients in, in Spain and lots of patients in Italy, we quickly learned that there were some skin manifestations with this disorder. And those skin manifestations may give us some information about the prognosis for this patient. So we're getting all these images, but we weren't seeing many images in black skin. So with a group of dermatologists, we started trying to collect these images because we knew that in the U.S. that black and brown communities were being hit really hard, disproportionately so. However, we did not have the additional tools to try to make that diagnosis early or to try to get more information about the prognosis, the trajectory of their condition based on these skin conditions. And and what are the implications of having more pictures of black and brown skin and and more research material for that? Does that mean that black and brown patients can expect better treatment? That is our hope. You know, I I wish medicine moved that quickly, but that is our hope. We can't fix things if we don't feel comfortable having the conversations. We can't fix things if we don't acknowledge that there's a problem. So that acknowledgement is huge. And I think that absolutely, like with with the melanoma data, we know these patients have worse outcomes because we're not finding it. You know, there's a lower index of suspicion. Um, There's the myth that this does not happen. And all of that lack of education is leading to poor outcomes in patients. With other things like eczema, psoriasis, it leads to poor quality of life. It leads to um, discomfort in the workplace and discomfort at home, discomfort in intimate relationships, because we're maybe not diagnosing these skin conditions as early as we can. So even if it's not a fatal condition, finding things early, treating them early is going to help to improve quality of life, reduce time out of work, improve self-esteem, empower patients to live the best lives that they can. So I think that, you know, being able to make this diagnosis early and with the hope that one day you can walk into any doctor's office and they can read, feel 100% comfortable reading black and brown skin is our ultimate goal, Um, but it will absolutely affect lives. And you mentioned also that there is a tendency of doctors who don't understand black and brown skin to undertreat. Absolutely. So some people believe that, oh, you know, darker skin is not as sensitive because you can't see the red, which often indicates inflammation. And that is absolutely incorrect. Dark skin can be exquisitely sensitive. And not only can it be exquisitely sensitive, you can have inflammation, hyperpigmentation and disfiguring hyperpigmentation if you don't respect the melanin and treat it appropriately. And so some people, because they lack the comfort level, they may undertreat those patients. And so those patients are then not getting the benefit of full treatment. So again, compromising their quality of life, compromising, you know, things are always easier to treat when we find them earlier. So delaying the diagnosis or treating inadequately because of their discomfort with this, with this skin type. So more education, um, you know, tools to help with the diagnosis, conversations about culture and understanding like what they may be using at home, what they may be doing at home, different cultural beliefs. We all have them that we may do that contribute to conditions is absolutely important. And it's something that we can teach when we're open to it. And talk about actually the positive outcome from last year's project, as you mentioned, those black doctors uh, pooling their resources and sharing images of COVID skin manifestations. What has come of that? What have you seen in terms of the interest in dermatology? So huge interest. So I've been reached out. I do a lot of work with a lot of great companies and interface with industry a lot. And a lot of huge companies are using their resources and putting their dollars behind it to make sure that we not only have photos, but we have high quality photos that we are now investing in research. So a lot of products in the aesthetic space and all throughout medicine come to market without having appropriate representation of black and brown patients in their studies. Then at the end, people are then learning how to use them on these patients. And it's not fair, you know? So a lot of companies are looking now to reach out to physicians like myself and other black physicians who have now, who now feel comfortable vo- voicing their interest in disparities 
to help them recruit for studies, to help them bulk up this information so that patients are safer. It's all about people feeling comfortable with having this conversation, Black physicians feeling comfortable and empowered to have this conversation, because medicine is, is quite, can be quite conservative. And in many ways, it's like the military, and it's a lot about hierarchy and doing what's right. And, you know, and I, I do believe that respectful environment helps, you know, disseminate information and helps maintain the professionals in the field, but it hurts when we're not willing to, to push against the establishment. And I think now people, Black physicians, all physicians are pushing against the establishment and having these conversations and ultimately it will help everyone. And you also have a research foundation as well that you started to help make sure that Black patients are represented in these studies. Absolutely. So my research group is called the Henry Research Group. And what we do is exactly that. So, you know, I do, again, a lot of work with topical treatments for um, dermatology, aesthetic lasers, and, you know, basically doing a lot of extension studies. So helping these companies bulk up their data so that anyone can treat black and brown patients safely. You know, my patients come into my office. They've been with me for years. They trust me. They know that there, you know, there's not a device on this market that can convince me to do something that I don't feel that is safe and appropriate. And so they feel comfortable having that conversation with me. And I'm also willing to have that conversation, you know, about their fears. And because of that, they're willing to try to get benefit from these treatments. If they haven't had treatments before, they're willing to contribute to the public by helping us bulk up this data so that we can help protect, save, improve the quality of life of other patients. So that's been something that's really important to me and is a, a, a passion and a love project of mine that I absolutely had to do while launching my practice um, to contribute to um, the specialty. And you, like, I think, I think I said this to you before, you're a unicorn, right? You're, you're one of the few black dermatologists in the entire country, a handful in New York city. And, and to imagine New York city being one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the, in the world. And there are only a handful of black dermatologists and also your female, uh, black dermatologists. Uh, talk a little bit about what it took to get to where you are. Yeah, it's tough. You know, only 3% of dermatologists are black. And in, again, we're concentrated. And if you can call it concentrated, then there are a number of us in New York. DC, Atlanta, outside of that, we're very, very hard to come by. And it's a it's it's hard to get into. Again, you know, a lot of medicine, in some ways, it's a little bit of an old boys club. And so when you're getting into specialties that are a competitive academically, so you have to work really hard and make sure you have the grades. And you know, some parts of grades are subjective. So some of it is, are you well liked? You know, that can be a little bit tough, especially when you're underrepresented in a space and it can be a little tough to find acceptance. Um, so it was definitely a hard road for me. And, you know, I encountered a lot of naysayers. I encountered a lot of, you know, even people in training who disproportionately sought out to make things difficult for me. Um, and so I always tell my, told my, I tell my students when I'm teaching them, especially my students of color, that you kind of have to live in this world, just wearing your raincoat, letting everything roll off of you, knowing that, most of what people do is about them and not about you trying not to internalize it. And then oftentimes you find that the more objection you have to your goal, the closer you are to getting it. You know, people get really angry when they see that you're encroaching on their territory. And so sometimes the more violently people push back to really just use that as fuel to keep moving forward. Um, and it's really just about, you know, in an interview, someone asked me, like, I'm sure you encountered many no's. Um, how did you deal with that? Like, what's the large, biggest no that you encountered? And I found it so difficult to find a no. And then when I finally kind of sat with myself, I realized it's not because I don't get no's, it's because I don't internalize them, you know? A no happens and I just think, okay, not yet. And I pivot, I move around it and I keep on going. And I think that's really the only way to attain your dreams, attain anything, but especially in something like medicine that can be so taxing mentally, emotionally, and physically, you really have to feel solid, believe in yourself, know there will be naysayers, 
and just push through. Well, that's a great point to end on, especially it being Women's History Month. So thank you for that. I think you represent a strong uh, female leader in our community. Thank you so much, Dr. Henry, for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. We thank you for listening, and we thank our production team, Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Jackie Beckford, in for David Ushery. We'll check you next time on The Debrief. (laughs) 